We ended last time talking about judging. You remember that talking about judging? Judge not that you be not judged and what the, our current culture loves to quote. I think it's the only Bible verse they know. And they misquote it and they misapply it. That is not what, but if you want to know what Jesus really meant, grab last week's CD. By the way, every time we're done with a service, they immediately have the CDs ready back there. If you want to go to the connection point and grab one, uh, you can do that and take advantage of it. Now, we did end talking about judge not, that you be not judge, who to judge, who not to. Now, Jesus next is going to talk to us about using wisdom. Sermon on the Mount is eminently practical. It's everyday stuff. It's not lofty theology, though, of course, it is lofty, but Jesus was such a genius at taking lofty stuff and making it simple. So, but it's practical. It's, it's very, very practical day-to-day how to walk this thing out called the kingdom of God. Because when we got saved, we were translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear son. So we've changed kingdoms and kings and all of that good stuff. So we're in a whole new world now, but the, the question is, now how do you live this out? How do you walk it out? How do you successfully live the Christian life? And the Sermon on the Mount is the blueprint for it. Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, if you listen to his sayings and do them, not just hear them, but do them, you'll be like a man that built his house on a rock. And when the storms of life hit, your house will not fall. Because it's founded on the rock. And let me just reiterate, the rock is not just Jesus, but what he taught. Now, see, here, here's what it comes down to. Um, Jesus is not only my Savior, but he's my teacher. He's my philosopher. What he wrote or what he dictated, what he taught, and then the disciples moved on by the Holy Ghost, recorded it. But what he gave to us in his teaching was the worldview every Christian is supposed to embrace. So when it comes down to me being confronted with a philosophy that comes from the world or what he taught, what comes from the world is immediately discarded by me. I'm going to do what he said. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek him. I'm going to live for God. I'm not going to worry. All the things he taught us about living in life, I'm going to do them. He's my teacher. So let me put it this way. The Bible can tell me what to do. Can the Bible tell you what to do? And and if you want to do something else, can the Bible still tell you what to do? When you want to do one thing and the Bible tells you another, which one wins? The Bible. Because the Bible is the word of God and it can tell us what to do. Now here's Jesus telling his followers, here's the way I want you to live and walk out your life in this new kingdom, the kingdom of God. So what he's about to share with us is, is wisdom that has to do with how we share and what we share with others. He says in verse 6, chapter 7, read this out loud with me, would you? Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Wow. 
Now, you read that and go, what in the world is he talking about? Well, he uses two metaphors. Here they are. Giving what is holy to dogs and casting pearls before swine. Now, as for the first one, giving what is holy to the dogs, some commentators believe the picture here is of a priest throwing a piece of flesh that has been dedicated to God for the altar of burnt offering to one of the numerous dogs that infested the streets of eastern cities. So you've got a piece of meat that has been given for the holy purpose of the altar. It has been set aside for the purpose of God. And you're taking that set-aside piece of meat to be offered on the altar, and instead of doing that with it, you're throwing it to a dog in the street. The idea is it's a desecration of what has been set aside for God. Amen. You know what I've noticed? Um, I've noticed in our society, we've really lost touch with the difference between what is sacred and what is common. What is set aside for God and what isn't. And this, this runs across so many areas, like our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's set aside for God. And yet so many times we'll see Christians just uh, really desecrating their bodies in involvement sexually before they're married, many, uh, drinking, drugs, many, many different ways we do this. But we take what is holy and we give it to the dogs. Now, he's saying here, uh, that's desecration. That's defilement of what is God's. Now, Jesus is encouraging his followers not to persist in sharing the sacred things of God. Now, catch this carefully. As with the gospel, something sacred with those that have no desire whatsoever for it. He's letting us know that there are times to witness and there are times to walk away. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor Jeff, if I start witnessing to somebody, and just because they don't receive it doesn't mean I'm going to walk away. Don't you just kind of stay with it until they receive it? Well, maybe, maybe not. Let me show you a couple of examples from the Bible. Jesus told the disciples in Luke 9, 3 to 5, he said, when you travel, don't take a walking stick. Also, don't carry a bag, food, or money. Take for your trip only the clothes you're wearing. And when you go into a house, stay there until it's time to leave. If the people in the town, watch this now, will not welcome you as a representative of the gospel and of Jesus Christ, what did he say? Go outside the town and shake the dust off your feet. What's he telling you to do? Walk. He's telling you to walk. And this will be a warning to them, Jesus said. So folks, now clearly, and if you've been a Christian for very long and witnessed to very many people, you've run across this. There are some people who are very open. They want to hear about it. They're receptive to the message of the word. But then there are others, man, they are closed off. They are locked out. They want nothing to do with what you're saying. The idea here is how long do you waste your time there 
instead of going somewhere where it's being received. Amen. Now, I, I grew up playing uh, racket sports. I loved racquetball, tennis, ping pong. I took tennis in college. Amen. Um, and here's what you learn when you're playing tennis. You got this tennis racket. And, and if you're taking lessons, your coach will talk to you about the sweet spot in the racket. That, that if you learn how to strike the ball with, with that sweet spot, which is just a, a certain percentage of the entire racket, if you learn to hit it with that sweet spot, the momentum, the power, the accuracy is at maximum level. And you can hear it when you hit it with the sweet spot. If you know anything about tennis, it's just that beautiful clunk sound. And you know, man, they just hit it just right. All right? So the sweet spot. Now listen, I've learned this in ministry. There are sweet spots in ministry. That is, you can tell when you take the word of God somewhere. If, if, if the Holy Spirit has gone ahead of you and prepared hearts and prepared lives and prepared situations for you to step into and minister the word. Because when you share the word, you hit a sweet spot. You can tell they're receiving it. They're open to it. They're, they're saying, tell me more. And then you can go elsewhere where when you go to minister the word, you don't hit a sweet spot. You hit concrete. And nobody's receiving anything you're saying. They don't want to hear what you're saying. If you ever ministered to people like that, it's very, very frustrating. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, when, when you don't find a sweet spot, go where there is one. Okay? When I first started the ministry, I started in this place called the House of Faith. And it was a, it was a home for uh, troubled girls. And it was where I was first asked to teach. And these girls were just, um, you know, I don't mean this badly. I told them this is what I thought after a while. But they were like she-devils from hell. <laughs> these girls were tough. And I'd walk in to, with my little guitar. I just learned to play a few chords, C, G, F, A, D. I could play a few chords. I, I tell you, I, I told you before, I think I alone wearied God of God is so good because I played it, it's all I knew. But I'd walk in with my guitar and my Bible, and these girls would look up, and they would say, how long is this going to take? I'm there to teach and lead an inspirational Bible study. they they say, how long is this going to take? And I'd say, well, I don't know. Well, hurry up. We've got a show we want to watch. Everybody say with me, that's not a sweet spot. They were my fiery initiation into the ministry. I did this for about six weeks, and I went to the woman who, who had founded this ministry, and I said, listen, I need help. These girls aren't receiving anything. And a lot of them, you know what? A lot of them walked away. A lot of them never walked with God. Some of them died very young. Uh, there were a few that could be reached. So, so here's the deal. As a minister, I'm always looking for the sweet spot because I can tell when there's receptivity. I can tell when God has gone ahead of me. Are you saying, Jeff, are you saying you don't preach to everybody? I, of course I do. But if I can tell that there is this certain group or a certain individual that's just not interested, no matter what I say or do or how long I spend with them, I move on. Listen to what Paul did. Acts 18, verse 6. One time when Paul the apostle had been witnessing to the Jews, 
They resisted his words to the point that it says, quote, but when they, what did they do to him? Say it with me. When they opposed and insulted him. Is that a sweet spot? No. When they opposed and insulted him. Does it tell us next that Paul said, well, guys, I'm just going to stay with you and hang with you. And, and, I, and I, if it takes me 10 years, I'm going to reach you. Did he do that? What does it say he did? Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, wow, this is tough. Your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, what did he say? I will go preach to the Gentiles where there's a sweet spot. You guys are my current sweet spot. See? And, it, and it's happening here. Do you know that we've been growing every week for four weeks? We've been growing every week. And, and it's, a, it's a sweet spot. And, and you know what? It's getting sweeter. I, I'm sensing the, the, the waters are beginning to be stirred by the Holy Spirit. And something is up. And so the sweet spot is getting sweeter. I'm not telling you that you should not persevere with somebody. I'm not telling you that uh, you shouldn't be patient. I'm just saying there comes a moment where the Holy Spirit will say, it's time to walk and leave them to me. We used to say there's two, only two kinds of people in the world, yes people and no people. Yes people are individuals that will receive what you're saying. Their hearts are open to the word. No people are those who let you know right off, not interested, not into it. There's no reception. There's no open heart. They have no taste for it. And when you're dealing with no people, there just comes a time when it's clear you need to turn them over to the Lord and walk away. God may use someone else later on down the road to reach them, but for now, it ain't you. Oh, I got a lot of people like that back there behind me that I've tried and tried to reach. And finally, I just said, you know what? I'm going to go where there's a sweet spot. Are y'all hearing me tonight? Okay. So the Lord's first example is that of offering what is holy, the things of God, to dogs. And by dogs, he means carnal people who have no interest in it at all, nor can they appreciate it. Now, after using the metaphor of dogs, Jesus next talks about pearls and swine. Now, these two examples are very, very different. What is holy in dogs and pearls and swine? While dogs would refer to something wild, swine points to what is unclean. To the Jew, a pig was never to be eaten. And we know that. We've talked about that. Swine was forbidden in the Levitical diet given by Moses, and they simply wouldn't get near swine. They were unclean. They were filthy. They, they, you know, they, they played in the mud. This is why it was so impactful to Jesus' listeners when he talked about the prodigal son ending up in a pigsty with pigs eating pig's food. That was like the worst destination that could ever have happened to you. So that's how swine were seen. Now, with the pearl and the swine metaphor, I want you to notice with me, the Lord uses a pronoun, your. 
Don't cast your pearls before swine. Now, back in Jesus' day, pearls were the, the choice jewels of that time. They were used in the common vernacular of something that denoted uh, high value or something really precious. They would talk about pearls, not diamonds, rubies, but pearls. So Jesus here, when he says, don't cast your pearls before swine, he, he, he's talking about something more personal to us, your pearls. I believe he's instructing us not to share our personal testimony of things God has done for us. Watch this carefully. Things that are precious and sacred experiences with people who can't begin to appreciate their value. All right. Now, let let me just show you what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, the person without the spirit of God does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but they consider them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. And if anybody does not have the spirit of God, he is not his. So with the entrance of the spirit of God into our hearts, everybody comes an appreciate an ability to appreciate spiritual things. I believe for the most part, Jesus is advising us against sharing precious spiritual pearls with lost people who can't begin to understand what you're talking about. Oh yeah, the Lord, I mean, listen, I have in my lifetime had several powerful pearl type experiences with the Lord, several, many, where God just really touched me in a way that was profound to me and life-changing and a defining moment for me a powerful experience with God. And I believe that all of us ought to have those, okay? Where they go in the file marked powerful, marked life-changing, marked unforgettable, okay? But there is, in my history, one particular pearl experience that stands out above them all. The other pearl experiences that I've had, I can share with the congregation. I can share with just about... Anybody who's saved, who, who I know can, can hear me. Um, but that one standalone pearl experience that I had, and it had to do with my call to the ministry. It happened when I was called to the ministry. God visited me in a way that was indescribable. Words fail. I can try to explain it, but you know what? That happened when I was 18, and never have I shared it with a congregation, ever, nor would I, because if there was even one person out there that mocked or criticized or ridiculed that pearl, it would hurt me bad. I would feel like I desecrated or allowed to be desecrated a very profound and sacred experience in my history with God. You understand? Through the years, I've only shared what happened to me with a few individuals. And they were individuals that I knew well and who I knew were were spiritual and would not criticize it or mock it or ridicule it, but could really appreciate it and say, wow, praise God. Okay? Okay. 
Because that's the way it was. I'm not going to cast that pearl before swine. People who can't appreciate it. It's funny when you, there are people you can share things with. Your, your experiences with God. Not only, and you know what? Some of them are church folk. That is, they're in a church building. And they're sitting in a church pew. But that doesn't mean they have any depth. That doesn't mean that necessarily they're even saved. They're just in a church building. There are people that you can share spiritual experiences with. And not only will they criticize it or mock it or question it or, or, or really throw cold water on it, but then they'll turn around and rend you, Amen. label you, call you one of those charismatics. Don't you know God stopped moving in the first century? That can't have been real. Jesus said it's like they will, they will trample the pearl and then they will, and then they will come and tear you to pieces for what you shared. I, I don't know about you, but my experience has been, I'd rather be turned over to a pack of hell's angels than religious church folk. Anybody with me now? Because nobody can tear you up like religious church folk. Jesus said that while the dogs would desecrate what is holy, the swine will not only desecrate what is holy, but they'll turn and attack you like a wild boar. That's a type of pig, but they have husks that can literally do what Jesus said, tear you to pieces. Isn't this exactly what Paul, Jesus, the other apostles and Christians through the ages have experienced and Christians all over the world are experiencing right now at the hands of those who do not understand the things of God and attack them for standing for Christ? People are being martyred right now while I talk in other parts of the world. Now, so I believe the simple meaning of the teaching, don't, don't cast what is holy to the dogs or your pearls before swine. I think you can just boil it down to this. Don't endlessly offer the gospel to violent and abusive people who don't want it, who will growl like dogs and curse you, nor offer your own sacred pearl experiences to those who cannot perceive or appreciate their value. will trample on them and then turn and rend you. Everybody with me? Okay. Now next we're going to talk about prayer. Jesus launches into what I believe is one of the most encouraging messages on prayer in the entire Bible. And at first, when you just finish with the pearls and swine and what is holy and dogs... It, it's almost like, wow, this was abrupt that Jesus went from that to talking about prayer. But it makes total sense when you think that the person that's been dealing with swine and dogs, difficult people, would need to pray. Amen? Amen. So Jesus says, let's read it together. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. Do you believe that? Yes. 
Now, that's Jesus talking about prayer. Us going to the Father in his name and praying. And I believe he's telling us what is impossible for men is possible with God in the place of prayer. Can you say with me tonight, prayer changes things. Do you know that prayer changed you? Somebody somewhere in your history prayed for you, and that's how you got saved. Right? Somebody targeted you and prayed for you, and that's why you got saved. Might have been an evangelist, might have been a preacher, might have been a family member. With me, it was a grandmother that I found out way later was a believer, always carried around her old worn-out Bible, and she used to put me on her knee. She called me Jeffy. Yes, I'm going to tell you, Jeffy. She called me Jeffy. And my dad told me years, years after I was saved, he said, well, you know, Jeff, my mother, your grandmother used to put you on her knee and pray for you all the time. I said, my grandmother was a Christian? And he said, oh, she carried her Bible everywhere she went. It was sewn to her side. And I said, my grandmother. So I know that when I was five years old, sitting in her lap, she had that old worn out Bible next to her. My grandmother prayed for me. And that's how I got saved. I really believe that. Now, Jesus is going to give us a progression in prayer. One thing that leads to another. He says three words, ask, seek, and knock. Those are not to be done separately. Those are like a train. The locomotive, the middle car, the caboose. This is a progression. And it begins by us simply going to God with a petition. Lord, I need this. I need that. I'm asking you to this. I'm asking you to that. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't be anxious for anything, but by everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So he's beginning with asking. He said, he said in prayer, it, be, it starts with asking, but you have to be sure of one thing. There's one stipulation that when you ask, it is for something good. And he tells us this in verses nine through 11. Look at what he says. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, everybody say, that's good. good. We'll give him a stone. He's saying, if you ask for a good thing, God's not going to burn you. Or if he asks for a fish, that's good. Will he give him a serpent? Of course not. If you then, look at this, being evil, know how to give what kind of gifts? Good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give what? Say it loud. Good things. Good things. To those who what? Ask him. So the only stipulation of the asking part is that it be for something good. And, and James balances this out. James says, you don't have because you don't ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss. You ask amiss. You're not asking for something good, but you're asking for something that you may spend it on your pleasures or lusts. So if you ask for something that's not good, you ain't going to get it from God. But if you ask for something good, Jesus said he will give good things to those who ask him. So we're to begin our prayer journey by asking specifically for good things. 
And we need also to add here that ask, seek, and knock. Okay, let me get a little Greeky on you for just a second. This matters. Ask, seek, and knock are in a verb tense called the, the present active. And what that means is this. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. This is not a one-time event back here where you asked for something once and moved on. Jesus is saying, ask and keep on keeping on asking. Don't quit after just one petition. If you know what you're asking for is good, and how do you know it's good? You can find it somewhere in the Word, either a verse that is about what you're asking for or a principle in the Word that tells you it's good. For instance, if if I need a job, isn't it a good thing if I ask God for a job? If I need one of my children to be saved, isn't it a good thing to ask God that they'll be saved? I mean, we know when something is good because the Bible will tell us it's good. So ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking, keep on with it. Present active, don't give up. Ongoingly do it. Now next, Jesus says, seek and you will find. Well, find what? Seek and you will find. Find what? That for which you have prayed. Now watch this. Here we see the person who began by asking God, God, I need this. I'm asking you for this, and I know that it's in your word. It's good, so I know I can expect by faith that you're going to give me this good thing. You begin that way, but now here's that same person becoming involved by faith in the answer to the prayer. The Lord is saying, add to your asking your own diligent endeavors by all the means that are available to you. Let me give you a simple example. Talking about job. If I sit in the middle of my living room and I say, okay, Lord, I need a job. I know it's a good thing. You know, I need to pay these bills. Lord, I'm asking you for a job. And then I just sit there. Right? What are you doing, Jeff? Well, I prayed for a job. Well, what are you doing? I'm waiting for that phone to ring. Or I'm waiting for a knock to come on the door. No, we know better, don't we? When we ask, then we start seeking. We start seeking. We go out and we knock. You go looking for jobs. That phone's not going to ring. Maybe once in a blue moon that might happen. But no, you take your resumes and you go looking, believing that God is going to shine on you because you've asked for a good thing. So he's going to be your door opener. He's going to be your way maker. He's going to make a way where there was no way. Rivers in the desert, a road in the wilderness. He's going to make a way. But, it, but listen, I, I used to tell people all the time, I'll say it again tonight. God blesses moving targets. If I ask God for wisdom to solve some problem, what good does it do me if I just sit there? No, if I want wisdom, I'll say, God, give me wisdom. Then I'm going to go to the word of God. I'm going to go to books that might have something to do about what I'm praying for, written by Christians. And I'm going to look, I'm going to search, I'm going to seek. And you know what? He promises you will find. 
And then Jesus adds a third directive. Knock, and it shall be open. What's going to be open? Are you ready? The necessary door behind which lies your answer. He says, you start by, Lord, I have this good thing I need. Give me this good thing. And then you put feet to your faith and you begin to go out and, and seek, seek for where you might find the answer to that prayer. Then knocking has to do, church, with perseverance. Knocking has to do with staying with it. We're to persevere in our asking. We're to persevere in our seeking. Knocking on the door of maybe many possibilities before that right door opens. Let me give you a little testimony. When we were looking for this building or for a building, we had a church, we had about 300 people and we were meeting over on Hewlin and we really needed a building. And I knew that I needed a big building and I wanted it to be, you know, all these, I had, I had many uh, aspects to what I was asking God for. And I said, Lord, we need a building. Now, after asking and continuing to ask for that good thing, we went on a search. And I'm going to tell you before the Lord, he knows this is true. I probably went to 30 different building sites. Went all through these buildings, various kinds of buildings in various locations, all over the metroplex, all over the Fort Worth area. And do you know that there was, for instance, one building. I just knew it was God. Man, I had the Holy Ghost rush every time I walked in this thing. This is it. I told Kathy, I found it. And we had to go to a board of directors, the board of directors that were in, that were in control of this building. And do you know what? One man out of many, one man. I wanted to strangle him. I wanted to find him. I wanted him to swat him. I wanted to... Because one man said, you know what? I just don't think so. One man. I thought it was, I bound the devil, loosed the devil, prayed, fasted, named it, claimed it, blabbed it, grabbed it. I did everything. (laughs) But there was this one man and he stood against it. So I remember going home. I remember thinking, okay, what do we do now? Because now the door has shut and we'd already been to so many and we really needed a building. And so I get this phone call. Now I know, well, you said the phone wouldn't ring. Well, the phone rang. The only reason it rang is because in my searching, I got in touch with this one man. And this man called me and he said, I found your building. I said, where is it? He said, well, it's near Burleson. I said, well, I haven't been anywhere near in that direction. Near Burleson? Where? And he told me, he said, it's on the highway. It's strategic. It is um, available. The owner will work with you. The owner will work with your financing. All these things began to line up. And finally, on like door number 30, it opened. And boy, this was a rough looking building. Oh my. I showed it to Kathy. She cried and went home. I showed it to the elders. I showed it to the elders and they, they one of them took me aside you know, like, we need, we need to talk. <laughs> took me aside and he said, uh, we can do better than this, Pastor. And I said, you know, I just, can we just pray? And though it looked rough, do you know that when we got in it, the people started coming from the north, south, east, and west, and from every direction. And before we knew it, the finances we needed to finish this thing out just flowed in. And every step we took 
though it was not always easy, though, yes, there were discouragements. Yes, there were times I wanted to think, well, you know what? Forget it. Do you ever feel that way? Um, but God made a way. Now look, and when you see upstairs, it's going to blow your mind. A lot of you don't know what's happening upstairs. It's beautiful. When we finish that outside and there's a 40-foot cross going up the middle and we've got that beautiful portico share and it's built up where you can see it from the highway clear as a bell, then, then, you know what I'm thinking? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will eventually be open. There's no guarantee the first door will be the one. You may have to knock and keep on knocking and keep on knocking, but a door, he promised, it shall be opened. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord, right? What good thing you need. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus gave us a pattern. Ask, seek, knock. Stay with it. And he will give and you will find and it will be open to you by the hand of God. Now, I want us to stand together tonight. I want us to read verse 11 out of the Living Bible together again. How many of you believe that God's a good God? Amen. I preached on that Sunday when we finished our Bad Boys, Mean Girls series. And um, just showing you that God's a good God. you got to believe that. Do you believe that about God? He's a prayer answering God. All right. So let's read this together. Ready? And if you hard hearted, sinful men know how to give good gifts to your children, won't your father in heaven even more certainly give good gifts to those who ask him for them? Amen. Can we just lift our hands to a prayer answering God?